0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 4 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC4. And this is Secret Church 4, Episode 7. The omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God. All of God is always present. All of God is always present. You've got Psalm 139 mentioned there after Jeremiah. You, you've heard this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now what this is not saying... Look at it closely. All of God is always present. It's present. It's not saying God, part of God is present over here and part of God is present over here and part of God is present over here in the world. All of God is always present. Where can I go from your spirit, from your presence? Nowhere. There's nowhere I can go. To escape your presence, he talks about it in Acts seven. I don't live in houses made by human hands. First Kings, remember First Kings eighteen, um, the Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember when Elijah kind of talking trash with the prophets of Baal, and he's like, "Where is your God, Canaanite rain god Baal?" He says, "Where is your God? Maybe he is busy, or he's uh, traveling." And the words in the original language of the Old Testament literally say, "Maybe he is uh, on, in the restroom." And so, I mean, the picture is maybe your God is on the can, but my God is everywhere. Is what Saying. So anyway, I don't know if I should have said that. Let's not translate that. Um, <laughs> all of God is always present. See, it's getting late. God cannot be contained or described by spatial dimensions. We don't think about God in space, even in infinite space. Space doesn't apply to God because he's omnipresent. God is present everywhere, but don't miss this. He's present everywhere but distinct from everything. This is not pantheism or panentheism that says God is in all. I've had numerous conversations, say in the French quarter of New Orleans, talking with folks, some of them intoxicated, some of them not intoxicated, and talking about how, man, God's in everything. I mean, God's in you, he's in me, he's in the trash can. That's not, that's not what we're saying in the omnipresence of God. He is present everywhere, but he's distinct from everything. And God's presence is manifested differently in different circumstances. Now, if God is omnipresent, then there is, is there any place where he is not present? No, that pretty much covers it. But we see his presence manifested in different ways. Sometimes God is present to sustain. This is what Colossians 1 says. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. He's sustaining all things by his powerful word, Hebrews 1 says. Sometimes God is present to punish. Here's what we need to realize. It's not always a good thing when the Bible says God is going to be with you. <laughs> if you... Apart from Christ in your sin, it is not good for God to be with you. Because sometimes He is present to punish. You see this in this passage in Amos, Habakkuk chapter 1. This is one of my favorites because I travel and I'll go to a conference and they will have Habakkuk 1 5. Uh, it's kind of the theme verse. And it says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. You're not going to believe what I'm about to, to do. And so it sounds like, oh, what a great theme verse. The reality is, though, uh, What he's about to do is raise up a pagan army to bring judgment on his people, and they're about to be obliterated. And so it's not a very positive thing. It's not something we want to celebrate at a conference, that God is going to bring judgment on us. So anyway, we need to realize sometimes God is is present to punish. But most often when Scripture talks about the presence of God, it talks about how God is present. This last one, sometimes God is present to bless. Sometimes God is present to bless. There's nowhere we can go. Even to the depths of heaven or hell where God is not present, but He's present to punish and He's present to bless. Thick truth. And I believe it's a life-changing doctrine. You think about it. What does this mean? This means, number one, God is always accessible. Isn't this good news? This is good news for how we pray, how we worship, why we don't need to go to church. Because... We are in the presence of God. We don't have to go to a place. And we need to remember this. Sometimes we, we are at a place in our lives where, where God seems to be blessing and things seem to be going well. And then maybe God moves us. Maybe moves us to another city. Moves us to another home. Moves us to another whatever place. And we, we don't have the same sense of his presence we had back then. it's good to remember that God is just as present here as he was there. He's just as present. God is always accessible, and you are never alone. Living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life in the sight and company of an infinite, omniscient creator. It becomes an awesome business, and it's a great comfort. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe it's verse 16, when Paul says, there was a point in my life where everyone deserted me, everyone deserted me, but the Lord was with me. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter how lonely it feels, you are never alone. God is omnipresent. He is omniscient. God has all knowledge and all wisdom at all times. I'm going to bring the wisdom of God in here at this point. Some people separate out the wisdom of God as an attribute. We're going to bring it in here. All knowledge and all wisdom at all times. We'll start with knowledge. God possesses perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge. He knows himself perfectly. He knows all things perfectly. When you talk about all things, we're talking all things actual. Nothing is hidden from His sight. Everything is uncovered before Him. All things that are and all things that could be, will be, all things possible, all things that could have been, all things that could be now, all things that could be in the future. He knows all things actual and possible. And He knows all things, everything, at every moment. At this whole picture of the eternal present in God, this picture of him every, have every, having everything in a sense in his consciousness present. You don't, if you were to ask God how many, uh, how many grains of sand are there on the earth, he would not say, well, let me go check. He would not have to go find out. He would not have to go to some place to, to look it up. He knows everything, every moment. He knows all things at once. This means that God never learns. He never learns. He has no need to learn. He never has learned, and he cannot learn. He will not learn. He never learns, he never discovers, he never wonders about anything, he never comes to us with questions. When we do see him asking questions, it's for our sake, not for his sake. He never learns, he never discovers, and God never forgets. You say, well, what about Isaiah 43, 25 that says, I blot out your transgressions for my own sake and I remember your sins no more. We need to remember that or we need to realize that this is not saying. Isaiah 43:25 is not saying that he, he has no knowledge whatsoever of what you've done in the past because that would mean you have knowledge of what you've done in the past and God doesn't. That wouldn't add out. But the reality is what he's saying in Isaiah 43:25 is all of these things in the past that he is fully aware of and has been fully aware of throughout all time, that he by the blood of Christ no longer holds you accountable for those things. He remembers your sins no more. He no longer counts them against you. Never learns, never discovers, never forgets. God never ponders. He never has to think, well, let me think about what I'm going to, to do about that one. He never ponders. And God is never surprised or amazed. He's never surprised or amazed by anything that happens. Oh, that one caught me off guard. Never comes into the thought of God. God simply knows. He simply knows all things at all times. This is the humbling, terrifying, glorious truth. God knows us completely. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing you can hide from this God. Absolutely nothing. Psalm 139 reminds it of us. You search me. You know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely, O Lord. He knows everything about you. Now I want you to think about how comforting this is for followers of Christ, of trusting in Christ for forgiveness. Listen to what Tozer said. I love this picture. That God knows each person through and through can be a cause of shaking fear to the man who has something to hide. If you've got something to hide in this room tonight from God, then you should be afraid of his omniscience. Some unforsaken sin, some secret crime committed against man or God. But to us who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us in the gospel, how unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our heavenly Father knows us completely." No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us, since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Isn't that good news? There's never going to be anyone who's going to come up and say, God, you know what David did back there? He didn't know about that one. He knew about everything, everything. That which nobody else in this room, probably including myself, even realizes the depth of, and yet he loves me and he doesn't count against me. What an incredible truth. That's the knowledge of God. Now the wisdom of God. Because God is wise, what it means for God to be wise, it means he always accomplishes the best purposes through the best means. Now this is, this is one heavy thought. God always accomplishes the best purposes of the best means. He, he has wisdom. To God belongs wisdom. In wisdom you made all, made all your works, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God, the only wise God. This means you can't improve on God's plans. He always, listen to this, he always does what is best. And this is huge. Two foundations for trust here. How we can trust God? Because he has perfect wisdom and he has total power. He knows what is best and he has the power to bring about what is best. Now, I think maybe one of the ways we can understand the wisdom of God is by comparing his wisdom with our wisdom. Think about it with me, the limited wisdom of man. We all know we have limited wisdom. Why do we have limited wisdom? Well, number one, we lack knowledge. Sometimes we act unwisely because we don't have all the knowledge. We think, well, if I'd have known that, I'd have acted differently in that circumstance. I just didn't know that. We lack knowledge. Sometimes we lack perspective. Sometimes we have a distorted or, or, or limited perspective. Uh, and you take a child and you put in front of him a, a nickel or a dime. He's probably going to choose a nickel every time. Why? Because it's, it's bigger. He has no clue. It's worth half as much. Different perspective. And we lack experience. We lack experience. We know the more experience we gain, the more we grow in wisdom. So we lack knowledge and perspective and experience. That's why our wisdom is limited. Now I want you to think about God, unlimited wisdom of God. How is that so? Well, number one, we just talked about it. God has perfect knowledge. God never says, if I would have known that, I acted differently. He lacks, in light of all the facts all the time. He knows everything. God has a second eternal perspective. Wisdom is seeing things in focus. Seeing things as they relate to the whole picture. He has eternal perspective and God has infinite experience. And this is how God can encourage us to trust him in the dark. This is how God can trust can, can encourage us to trust him when it doesn't make sense to us. What is the way of wisdom? I want to encourage you in three ways. Number one, pray with confidence. This is what James said. This is an incredible truth. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. But he who asks must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the the wind. That man is a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all he does. Did you hear that? This is God saying, I have all wisdom. You ask of me, I promise to give it to you. This is why we see all throughout Scripture, seeking wisdom. Trust, pray with confidence. Second, cling to the cross. 1 Corinthians 1 is one of the most beautiful pictures how the cross is the wisdom of God. Ends with Christ being called our wisdom. This picture that seems like foolishness to man, the cross, is the ultimate in the wisdom of God. Cling to the cross. And third, this is where it really hits home. Trust in the Father. It's one of my favorite parts of the book of Luke. When Jesus is teaching about prayer and he gets to the end and he says, which of your fathers, if If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the picture. God is Father. This all starts coming together, beauty and unity. God is Father. He is all-wise, which means he always gives what is best. This means when, go back to Psalm 23 with me for just a second and the experience I was sh- sharing with you. When I got a call and my brother was on the line saying, something's wrong with dad, pray, pray for him. And so I begin to pray and for the next hour I pray and I pray and I begin to weep and begin to pray that God would spare my dad. And then I get the next call that said it had not happened. It's in those moments where the wisdom of God is the only rock we have to stand on, to be able to look to the infinitely wise God and say, you are Father, and I'm going to trust that you know what is best. I lack perspective. I lack knowledge. I lack experience. You have all of these things. I'm going to trust that you know what is best. This is a This is a a rock-solid truth. I'm not saying it's an easy truth. It's not an easy truth. But it's rock-solid. Tozer put it best. With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, with the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it. What do we lack? The wisdom of God, omniscience of God. All knowledge, all wisdom, all times. The immutability of God. This means he's unchanging. Immutable, unchanging. Four truths. Four truths. Can God ever change? Here's the answer. Number one, God's perfections never change. They're unchanging. What I mean by that is His being. All these attributes we're talking about. Who God is never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You remain the same, Hebrews 1 says. He does not change like sifting shadows, James 1 says. His perfections never change. Love, mercy, grace, all these things about who He is, His eternity, spirituality, personality, all these things never change. Second, God's purposes are unchanging. What God purposes Never changes. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of heart, His heart throughout all generations. Gets to the end of Isaiah 46, 9 11. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. God does what He wants, all that He wants. It will always be achieved. God's purposes are unchanging, and God's promises are unchanging. His word stands forever. He doesn't lie. Doesn't change his mind like that. Now the question is, what about passages like Exodus 32 when God says in response to the people constructing this golden calf, I'm going to wipe this people out. I'm going to destroy them. And then Moses prays, pleads for God not to do that, and he says, okay, I will not. The Bible says he relented. Some translations even say he repented, that he did something different, changed his mind. And so does God change his mind or not? And this is where I want you to bring, I want to bring to this fourth truth. God's perfections, his purposes, and his promises are unchanging. Those are all true in Scripture. Fourth truth is God's plan is unfolding. And here's what I mean by that we see the plan of God, which is unchanging. We've talked about that plan and purpose, unchanging. But it unfolds. In Exodus 32, it's unfolding. It's God saying, Because of my people's sin, they deserve my destruction. At the same time, in God's plan, His purpose is to raise up Moses to be a mediator to pray on their behalf, and for God to say, "I will not destroy them because you have prayed for them." This is the picture. This is the picture of the cross. This is the picture of God saying, "In your sin, you deserve wrath." In my plan, I'm raising up. I'm raising up Christ to take my wrath upon himself on your behalf so that you can be forgiven of your sins and have new life. His plan is unfolding. That does not mean that his perfections, his purposes are changing. doesn't mean his promises are changing. That leads us to these four conclusions. Number one, God does not change in his reign over us. And that's just basically restating the fact that his perfections, promises, purposes are unchanging. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing that God doesn't change in his love if he ever did, it would mean he would either have to change for the better or for the worse. If he changed for the better, that means he wasn't perfectly loved in the first place. If he changed for the worse, that would certainly be a bad thing. It'd be, it's a very good thing that God's promises are never changing. How could, we, how could we take the promises of Scripture that say, trust in me and you'll have eternal life? Well, maybe, hopefully that will happen. As long as God doesn't change his mind, no. His promises are unchanging. His purposes, perfections promises are unchanging. He does not change in his reign over us. How he does change, though, is in his relationship to us. And this is the difference. And I invite you to praise God with me. There was a day in my own life, there was a day when I was under the wrath of God in sin. By the work of Christ and the power of Christ and his spirit drawing me to salvation, he changed in his relationship to me so that now I need never fear his wrath again because I'm under his mercy and his grace. Anyone thankful that God changes in his relationship to us? He does not change in his reign over us, but he does change in his relationship to us. We see that happening in the unfolding plan of God. Take that a step deeper. He raises up Moses. It's the same picture in Jonah. He says, Ninevites, I'm going to destroy them unless they repent. But then he raises up Jonah to go to them, a little detour through a fish, goes to them and he preaches and they repent. It's the whole picture. Leads to this third conclusion. God involves us in his plan. God's raising up people to pray. He's raising up people to proclaim the gospel. He's doing that. He involves us in his plan, and he uses us, fourth conclusion, uses us to accomplish his purposes. God ordains the end, but he also ordains the means to that end. It's the immutability of God. He involves us in his plan and uses us, th- the thought of it, uses us to accomplish his purposes. All of that to say, the greatness of God, you bring all of these seven attributes together, and we pray, God, God, Deliver us from feeble faith. How can we have feeble faith when this is the God we worship and serve? And God deliver us from flabby worship. I'll let you figure out how to spell flabby. Uh, Tozer said, in my opinion, the great single need of the moment is that lighthearted, superficial religion is to be struck down with a vision of God high and lifted up with his train filling the temple. The holy art of worship seems to have passed away like the Shekinah glory from the tabernacle. As a result, listen to this, we are left to our own devices and forced to make up the lack of spontaneous worship by bringing in countless cheap and tawdry activities to hold the attention of the church people. I want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, the greatness of God is more than enough to hold the attention of church people today. We don't need to bring in cheap and tawdry activities into our worship to entertain. We have a great God. When we see this great God, we will worship. We will worship. His greatness elicits great worship. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.